Welcome back to Generals and Napoleon. Episode 10, Marshal Soult, Duke of Dalmatia. Of all the momentous dialogues and intriguing conversations in the Napoleonic saga, the one I would have wanted to be a fly on the wall for came in 1838. Mind you, this was 23 years after the last battle of the Napoleonic era was fought. It was the coronation ceremony of Queen Victoria of England. Marshal Soult had been sent as a representative of the government of France. As the marshal was walking through the music room for the Queen's concert, someone snuck up behind him and grabbed his arm. The Duke of Wellington smiled and said, quote, I have you at last, end quote. The two men had never met each other, but faced each other in battle at least a half dozen times, including at Waterloo. Although Soult never beat Wellington in battle, he always fought with smart battle formations and executed skillful retreats that frustrated the Duke. It must have been some conversation. I often wonder what they discussed. Perhaps the Duke of Wellington started with, quote, I almost had you at El Porto, end quote. To which the marshal might have said, quote, I almost had your army at Albuera, end quote. The two men had great military minds and shared a mutual respect of one another. Indeed, such was the respect the British had for Marshal Soult that they named a monitor battleship of the Royal Navy after him. This warship fought in both World War I and World War II before being decommissioned in 1946. In a hint of irony, the initial bombardment fired by the HMS Soult occurred in 1918 in Flanders, where, 124 years earlier, Wellington suffered his first defeat in battle. Jean de Du Soult was born in the small town of Saint-Amans, France. He was born in March of 1769, two months before the Duke of Wellington and five months before Napoleon was born. He was the son of a lawyer and notary, Jean Soult, and his wife, Brigitte de Grenier. Although his father had destined for his son to take over his law practice, the young Soult had other ideas. The future marshal had a brother named Pierre, who would become a general under Napoleon as well. Both of the Soult brothers would eventually have their names inscribed under the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. Jean Soult was one year older than Pierre, and he enlisted in the Royal Army in 1785 at the age of 16. None would have suspected, except the ambitious Soult himself, that he would become, quote, the best tactician in Europe, end quote, according to the emperor himself. For all his strategic gifts, Napoleon usually left the individual decisions of battle tactics to his generals and marshals. His chief of staff, Marshal Berthier, would give Napoleon's battle directives to each corps commander, with objectives to be accomplished by certain dates and times. After that, 
It was up to each corps commander to make it happen. Napoleon didn't suffer fools or layabouts. If you weren't performing as a commander, you were quickly replaced. Marshal Soult's career as a tactician started off slow. It took him six years to get from private to sergeant. After spending some time as a drill instructor, he was promoted to lieutenant in 1791. Despite his slight frame, he was impervious to exhaustion, physically or mentally. He expected the same from his troops. He never avoided a task or shirked a tough assignment and was selected to become captain by his troops. He first displayed his bravery at the Battle of Kaiser Latern, fighting in the front lines with his men. Promoted again to colonel, he next served under the future Marshal Lefebvre, where he learned his attention to detail. He also had an unflappable personality. It was the 1794 Battle of Flores that cemented his reputation. Soult by then was chief of staff to Lefebvre. During the battle, the erratic French general Marceau and his battalions were being routed by the enemy. Marceau commanded the right wing, and it was pushed back into Lefebvre's division. In frantic agony, he rushed up to Soult, demanding four battalions of the reserve to regain the ground he had lost. Quote, Give them to me, he exclaimed, or I will blow my brains out. End quote. Soult quietly responded that he would not, as it would endanger his troops. Marceau, shocked at being rebuked by a lower rank, angrily asked, quote, And who are you? End quote. Soult replied, quote, Whoever I am, I am calm, which you are not. Do not kill yourself, but lead your men to the charge, and you shall have the four battalions as soon as we can spare them. End quote. As Soult uttered these words, the enemy Austrian troops attacked with fury on Lefebvre's division. For 15 hours, the battle hung in the balance, and at last, even the stubborn Lefebvre began to think of retreat. But Soult calmly glanced over the chaotic battlefield and remarked, quote, If I'm not mistaken from what I judge of the enemy's second line, the Austrians are preparing to retreat, end quote. A few moments later, the order to advance came from the commander-in-chief, the future Marshal Jordan. Thanks to Soult's astute judgment, the divisions of Marceau and Lefebvre were charging the enemy instead of retreating. After the battle, the gracious Marceau sought out Soult. He said, quote, Colonel, forgive the past. You have this day given me a lesson I shall never forget. It is you who have gained the battle. End quote. For his efforts, Soult was promoted to general of brigade. He was calm, resourceful, and hardworking. But he also had a greedy streak in his character. He developed a keen eye for valuables and conquered territories. Like his fellow marshals, Ajuru and Masena, he looted jewelry, furniture, artwork, and vast sums of gold. But his main ambition was to wear a crown. He would get close, but unlike Marshals Murat and Bernadotte, he would never obtain a kingdom. 
1795, the new General Soult was covering a retreat when his small force was surrounded by 4,000 Austrian cavalry troopers. Summoned to surrender, he refused, and during five hours, he beat off repeated charges of the enemy's horse and fought his way back to the main body of the army without losing a single gun or battle standard. In 1796, Soult married Joanna Louise Elizabeth Berg. Soult was 27 at the time, and Joanna was 25. Joanna was described as friendly but spirited. Napoleon found her to be too domineering over the marshal, and she often expressed her displeasure when Soult was repeatedly assigned to the Spanish front. Napoleon retorted, quote, Madame, recollect that I am not your husband. If I were, you should conduct yourself very differently, end quote. Soult and his wife would go on to have three children, two of which would survive to adulthood. His son, of course named Napoleon, would live until 1857, and his daughter, Hortense, would live until 1862. General Soult increased his reputation during the 1796 and 1797 campaigns in the valleys of the Rhine and the Danube. In 1799, he served under the brilliant General Massena and learned about proper troop deployment and creative battle tactics. After defeating the Russians at the Battle of Zurich, Massena praised Soult's qualities in a letter to Napoleon saying, quote, for judgment and courage, Soult scarcely has a superior, end quote. In 1800, Massena took Soult with him to Italy. During the struggle at the fortress of Genoa, where the Austrian army drove the French into the town, Soult was at his best in the front lines. He led troops in battle after battle in a way he rarely did later in his career. On one occasion, when cornered by the Austrians, he was summoned to surrender. The Austrian negotiator pointed out that it was hopeless to continue the battle, as he had neither food nor ammunition. To this, Soult replied, quote, With bayonets and men who know how to use them, one lacks nothing. End quote. During the two-month Genoa battle, Massena, Soult, and their half-starved men carried out several sorties to wreck siege equipment and beat back the Austrians. On one of these sorties, General Soult was injured by a musket ball to the knee and was captured. He was treated harshly by his captors, robbed of his money, and thrown into a deplorable field hospital where he spent many days and nights racked in pain. Indeed, this experience was so terrible for Soult that he probably resolved to stay far away from the front lines in any future battle. This decision was to cost him. Most of Napoleon's generals and Napoleon himself preferred to lead from the front. Marshal Davout, for instance, insisted his officers lead from the front and if he found any in the rear areas, would have them immediately returned to the front. Soult preferred to stay in the rear and play the battlefield like a chessboard. The problem with this idea was communication. 
If his regimental commanders needed to redeploy their troops or request reinforcements, they had to send couriers to Sult's rear headquarters to ask for permission, and then Sult had to approve or deny this request and send the couriers back. This took time. The marshal planned his battles well, but left too much to his subordinates to coordinate. As the Duke of Wellington pointed out, quote, Sult never seemed to know how to handle his troops after a battle had begun, end quote. In 1800, following Napoleon's victory at Marengo, peace with Austria was declared, and Soult was paroled from captivity. Like most generals of the time, he enjoyed some much-deserved downtime. First as Colonel General of Napoleon's elite Counselor Guard, which eventually became the famed Imperial Guard. In 1804, Soult was included on the list of the original 18 Marshals of the Empire. From there, he was dispatched with most of the other marshals to the coastal training camp at Balloon for the supposed invasion of England. Using his drill sergeant methods, Soult imposed strict discipline on his men, gaining him the nickname of, quote, the Iron Hand, end quote. Even Napoleon thought his methods were a bit too Spartan to which Soult responded, quote, Those who cannot withstand the fatigue which I myself undergo will remain at the depots, but those who do stand will be fit to undertake the conquest of the world, end quote. While stationed at Balloon, he and his men erected a huge stone column to Napoleon's glory that can still be visited today. In 1805, Napoleon and his men shifted focus from the shores of Britain to the forests of Central Europe. Moving with 200,000 troops, Napoleon and his marshals trekked across hundreds of miles to crush the Austrian general Mack in Ulm, Germany. They next moved to Austerlitz in the present-day Czech Republic. This was to be the famous Battle of the Three Emperors, those being Napoleon versus Emperor Francis of Austria and Tsar Alexander of Russia. This was also to be Napoleon's masterpiece. Before the battle, Napoleon brought his marshals and generals to the Pratzen Heights outside of that town. Napoleon instructed his men to study the ground carefully because they were to have a battle there soon, and each would have a part to play in it. Soult's 16,000 troops held the center of the line and were to have the honor of storming the Pratzen Heights. Feigning weakness, Napoleon cleverly tricked the Allies by giving up the heights before the battle. He positioned Marshals Lan and Murat on the left side and Davu on his right, weakly supported. As Napoleon expected, the Allies attacked Davout, the weakest part of the line. When the Allies left the Pratzen Heights to attack Davout's corps, Napoleon rushed up to Soult and asked him how long it would take for him to capture the heights. Soult responded, quote, Less than 20 minutes, sire, for my troops are hidden at the foot of the valley by fog and smoke. End quote. 
Napoleon quickly assessed the situation, waiting for the Allies to get entangled with the Vu's corps, and said, quote, One sharp blow, and the war is over. End quote. At the proper moment, 200 drummers beat the signal to charge, and Soult's corps surged forward. His corps commanders, Generals Van Damme and Saint Hilaire, swept through the heights like a tornado, and before noon, the rout was on. The Russians and Austrians suffered 10,000 troops killed, versus the French with 2,000 troops lost. It was Napoleon's signature victory. Soult thought he would get more credit for the win, as did Marshal Lannes, but Napoleon shared the glory of Austerlitz with no one. In 1806, Soult fought in the war against Prussia and maintained his managerial style of commanding far from the front. One of his commanding officers summarized it best, quote, He loved vigorous enterprises, but only on condition that he did not expose his own person too far. He was far from sharing the brilliant courage of Marshal Ney and Marshal Lannes. One could even reproach him of the opposite excess of sheltering himself from danger too carefully, end quote. This caution was to cost Marshal Soult several battles, especially in Spain. His battle record was 17 wins and 22 losses. Not very impressive, but most of those losses were against one of the top 10 military commanders of all time, the Duke of Wellington. Soult performed well in the war with Prussia, especially in the mopping up efforts after the French victories at Jena and Auerstadt. Soult, Murat, and Bernadotte kept their men's swords at the kidneys of the retreating Prussian soldiers. Capturing large bodies of Prussian troops and fortresses, the war with Prussia soon ended, as Marshal Murat succinctly stated, quote, Sire, the combat ends due to lack of combatants, end quote. However, there were still Russians and small detachments of Prussians awaiting Napoleon at the terrible Battle of Eilau in February of 1807. In this inconclusive battle, Soult's corps was hit hard and Ajeru's was virtually destroyed in an ill-timed attack. Murat's legendary cavalry charge stopped the Russian assault and both sides weighed their options. For a moment, Napoleon considered retreat, but Soult advised against this, quote, Beware of doing so, sire. Let us remain the last on the field. We shall have the honor of the day. From what I have seen, I expect the enemy will retreat in the night. End quote. Sure enough, the Russians fell back during the night, and Napoleon had his bloody victory. But even the emperor recognized the damage the Russians had done to his army after Eilau. Soult retorted to the gloomy emperor, quote, And we've done the same to them. Our bullets are not made of cotton. End quote. Following the successful Polish campaign and peace with Russia, Soult was made Duke of Dalmatia, along with receiving an endowment of 300,000 francs per year. Although Soult was thrilled to have the money, he had virtually no connection to Dalmatia, a region in the present-day country of Croatia. In 1808, 
He was dispatched to Spain to solidify Napoleon's control of the Iberian Peninsula and, of course, to loot any artwork and gold he could get his hands on. Little did the marshal know that he would spend most of the next six years trying to conquer this land. After the setbacks in Portugal and the Battle of Bailen, the emperor himself showed up on the scene to conquer Spain. Napoleon and his marshals brushed aside the Spanish armies in their path and took over Madrid. From there, Napoleon and Soult chased after Sir John Moore and his British army on the peninsula. After it was clear that the British would make good on their escape at Corona, Napoleon handed over the pursuit to Soult and returned to France. After an awful trek through poor weather and terrible roads, Soult cornered Sir Moore and the British at the ports of Corona. The British mounted a masterful defense and beat back the French attacks, thus escaping the Iberian Peninsula for the time being. Unfortunately, General Moore was killed during the battle. As Soult had done at Balloon, he had a monument constructed to honor the good general. Afterwards, he was tasked with taking Lisbon, the capital of Portugal. He initially made good ground, taking the city of Oporto, but he decided to stop there as his supplies were low and his communications were cut with France. During this quiet time, he let his delusions of grandeur get the better of him. He started a not-so-silent campaign to make himself king of Portugal. He allowed placards to be put up around the city by friendly Portuguese citizens, asking him to become king. The previous rulers of Portugal had fled to South America to avoid being captured by the French. The idea of becoming a monarch wasn't outside the realm of possibilities. At the time, Marshal Bernadotte was Prince of Ponacorvo, and Marshal Murat had been named King of Naples. But the important missing factor was that Napoleon put both of those men in those positions. Soult's subordinates thought he might be going insane and considered arresting the marshal. When the emperor found out about Soult's self-proclaimed campaign to become king, he at first thought it was a joke. But his humor quickly turned to rage and he sternly reminded the marshal who was in charge. The dream of a kingdom quickly evaporated when the future Duke of Wellington and 30,000 British troops literally caught Soult sleeping and drove him out of Oporto in a surprise attack. Soult left in such haste that his baggage train, cannons, and wounded soldiers were captured by the British. Soult fled to the safety of Marshal Ney's territory in northwest Spain to refit and resupply his battered army. Later in 1809, Soult notched his biggest victory in the Battle of Ocana with a tactically brilliant encirclement of the Spanish army. The Spanish suffered 4,000 casualties, along with another 14,000 troops captured while losing 50 cannons. This destroyed the only force capable of stopping the French from capturing southern Spain. Soult moved his corps to Andalusia, one of the richest provinces in Spain, 
and established himself as Viceroy of Napoleon there. A wise move after his disastrous royal pipe dream in Portugal. During this time in Spain, the marshals were in serious rows with each other. Without the emperor's guiding hand, mutual cooperation evaporated. Sult got along well enough with Victor, but despised King Joseph of Spain and his chief of staff, Marshal Jordan. Most of the marshals thought they were smarter than the other marshals. And in Sult's case, he might have been right. But his know-it-all aloofness didn't endear him to the likes of Marshal Ney or Marshal Bessiet. His relentless looting of churches and convents didn't endear him to the Spanish people either. Sult was amassing wealth and supplies for himself and for an eventual push on Lisbon in conjunction with Marshal Massena's push on Portugal from the north. Although Sult's troops captured several fortresses, his efforts weren't timely or well-coordinated with Massena's corps. In May 1811, Sult moved his troops to support the French garrison at Badajoz. This fort was a critical position on the Spain-Portugal border. One of the Duke of Wellington's most trusted subordinates, General Beresford, was tasked with taking the fort. He was supported with a large contingent of Spanish troops. Sult's 24,000 troops slammed into Beresford's 35,000 troops and nearly turned the Allied right flank. However, the Spanish troops held their ground and repelled repeated French attacks. Similarly, the 57th Foot Regiment of the British Army, known forevermore as, quote, the diehards, end quote, held their ground against the French onslaught. In terms of men involved in the battle, Albuera was the bloodiest engagement of the entire Peninsula War. Allied losses were 6,900, while the French suffered 7,000 casualties. Soult reluctantly had to retreat and later commented, quote, There is no beating these troops. I always thought they were bad soldiers, and now I'm sure of it. I had turned their right, pierced their center, and everywhere victory was mine, but they did not know how to run, end quote. The Duke of Wellington was also unhappy with the battle's outcome, commenting to his staff, quote, This won't do. It will drive the people in England mad. Write me down a victory, end quote. Soult then moved to link up with Marshal Marmont, who took over Massena's command. But the two arrogant marshals differed in strategy and soon separated their corps. Not long after, Marshal Marmont was beaten at Salamanca by the Duke of Wellington. Marshal Soult recommended a counterstrike against Lisbon to King Joseph, but this sage advice was ignored. Finally, King Joseph grew tired of Soult's insubordination and threatened to quit his throne if the marshal remained in Spain. Napoleon recalled him to the German front to head up a few corps and be an understudy to the chief of staff, Marshal Bertier. Soult was present at Napoleon's victories at Lutzen and Bautzen in 1813. But following King Joseph and Marshal Jordan's disastrous loss of Vittoria, Soult was immediately sent back to Spain to retrieve the situation. As usual, the former drill sergeant reinvigorated the demoralized French forces in Spain. Within 10 days, he switched their mentality from defensive to offensive, 
and surprised the Duke of Wellington with his aggressiveness. But the crafty Duke again and again outmaneuvered Soult in several strong battles at Orthez and finally at Toulouse. This final battle was a particularly bloody affair and a pointless one as it occurred on April 10, 1814, a few days after Napoleon had abdicated his throne, but the news hadn't made its way to southern France. The Duke of Wellington was again impressed with Soult's military skills, saying of the marshals, he was second only to Massena. When King Louis XVIII returned, Soult submitted to his new government and was made Minister of War. When Napoleon escaped Elba, Soult tried to assemble troops to stop his progress, but once Marshal Ney joined the emperor, the writing was on the wall. King Louis fled with his royal courtiers, and Soult offered his services to his former master. Because of Marshal Berthier's untimely death, Napoleon needed a new chief of staff. And as we discussed earlier, Soult had been Berthier's understudy during the Lutzen and Bautzen campaigns. However, his personality and creative flair were not suited to taking orders and making them clearly understandable. Marshal Soult had been pretty much on his own as an independent commander for six years. In his role as chief of staff, he probably made more mistakes in the brief Waterloo campaign than Berthier had made in 20 years. Although he was meticulous, his orders were often convoluted. Here's an example of an order to Marshal Grouchet. Quote, his majesty desires that you will head to Wavre in order to draw near to us and to place yourself in touch with our operations and keep your communications with us, pushing before you those positions of the Prussian army which have taken this direction and which have halted at Wavre. This place you ought to reach as soon as possible, end quote. That sounds like pure drivel to me. Another example occurred when Napoleon asked Soult if he had sent Grouchy a warning of the approach of the Prussians, to which the marshal replied, quote, yes, I have sent an officer, end quote. Napoleon exclaimed incredulously, one officer? If only my poor Berthier had been here, he would have sent six, end quote. Following the repulse of the Imperial Guard, the French army fled the battlefield at Waterloo. Marshal Soult did everything he could to rally the fleeing soldiers. In the days following Waterloo, Soult was warned by a friendly British officer to make himself scarce, as he was on the prescribed list of enemies of the returning King Louis. He headed to the German territory of Berg and hid out there with his looted gold and artwork for the next four years. In 1819, he was allowed to return to France and was restored to his rank as Marshal of France. During the 1830 revolution, he declared himself in support of the new king, Louis-Philippe. In that same year, he was made Minister of War again and held the position for four years. One of his notable achievements was the creation of the famed French Foreign Legion. It is a force consisting of foreign volunteers that can only be used outside the borders of France and was designed to support French colonial interests overseas. The French Foreign Legion still exists today, 
and is one of the most highly trained units in the world. As Minister of War, Soult also helped crush revolts and rebellions to the new government of Louis-Philippe. He also had a few stints as Prime Minister of Louis' government, with mixed results. In 1847, Soult was made Marshal General of France. This is an esteemed rank in French history, as there have only been six men to have reached that lofty perch. In comparison, 12 men have walked on the moon. Marshal Soult died in November of 1851. His wife, Louise, survived him by only a few months, passing in March of 1852. His legacy is well summed up by Napoleon, quote, Soult is able, but too ambitious, end quote. When things were going well, Soult tended to take his eye off the ball. But when things were going poorly, as they were in Spain in 1813, there wasn't a better general to throw into the fire and revive the spirit of the troops. I think we'll wrap up our episode on that point. Join us next time when we learn about the only Polish soldier to become one of Napoleon's marshals, Prince Poniatowski of Poland. Thanks for listening.